Ruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem Berachnuchem Mivez Hashem My video is off Okay Trying with the problem with the computer. Okay, we're going to try again to turn back on the camera. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting the camera back. No, that's for your wife, Rabbi Shabbos. Come on. Oh boy. Need help? Yeah, there's something using my webcam, it says, and it's not letting me turn the Where's webcam on. the other computer? The other computer. I'm going to have to shut down Skype. I'll be back in two minutes. Where's the thing out? Sorry? Where's the laptop? The other computer. I didn't take it out for you. Shalmei's not here. Don't bother. Don't bother. Shalmei's not here. I can do it. I know, but till you take it out, till you hook it up. I don't have to hook it up. I'll just turn it Okay, we're start again. Sorry, it's going to sound very strange. Those listening at the beginning of this year, my sincerest apologies. This Shabbos, Pashas Lech Lecho, I'm restarting my computer. One second, one second. The computer is restarting. In three minutes, we'll be back on Skype. Shabbos Pashas Lech Lecha The date this Shabbos is a significant one as well Zayin Marcheshven Tonight we have a little more of an elaborate table here for those who joined us here at the table um, in honor of Shalmei's birthday who was abducted by his classmates for a uh, bigger and better party than we have to offer here. <coughs> so I'd like to wish Shalomeya, Rechasel Mavishanim, Langig Zantiyadim, Shedach Nal. Tonight is also his sister, Esther Bracha's birthday. Today was Shalomeya's, Hey Cheshman, and Vav is Esther Bracha's birthday. Out of Shabbos Kedish, Zayin Marcheshvan. Zayin Marcheshvan is a typical date where we see Chuchat Lula. We see opposites within within themselves. An opposite within itself is that becomes a tremendous pirud a separation amongst Kal Yisrael, amongst the Jewish nation. Because in Eretz Yisrael, in Arzeno HaKadosha, in our Holy Land, the Jews, as they daven the Shemonesei three times a day, in the weekday, in the Bracha of Baruch Aleinu, begin to say Vesein Talumoto Levracha, from Zayin Marcheshvan on. 
Mashenkin in New York in Chutzlaretz, the Saint Halamot has only started on December fifth, sometimes fourth. I had one. So we have a tremendous period, Rahman al-Islam. Kalal Yisrael has a separation in Tfilah. Half the Jews will be davening one way and half another way. The Yidin in Eretz Yisrael, the Jews in Eretz Yisrael will be davening one way and the Jews on the outside of Eretz Yisrael daven another, a different way. Let us though understand and by understanding this we will see the total opposite not only does this prayer of a Saint Talamata beginning excuse me on Zayin Marchejun not intended to cause Pirud Chas V'Shalom not intended to cause a separation God forbid but rather the date of Zion Marchejun is the greatest day of unity of Avas Yisrael, of selfless Avas Yisrael amongst the Jewish nation. The Gemara tells us, for those keeping score at home, the Gemara is in the Sechdes Tainus, Daf Yud, Omer Aleph, page 10, side 1. The Gemara tells us, "Be'eretz Yisrael maschilim lishel hagishomim b'shiva v'cheshbon." In Eretz Yisrael, in the Holy Land, they begin to ask for the rain, which is the prayer of the Saint Talmud Levracha, in the seventh on the seventh day of Cheshbon. Ve'afen, even though Shemin Aroi ha'yelishel hagishomim miyadach lechagasukes. It would have made more sense since on the end of Sukkot we say the prayer of Geshem. It would make more sense to begin immediately after Sukkot. Me'achrim says the Gemara, we delay this. Tes Vav Yem. Fifteen days. Why? you would imagine, you would begin to think and to try to imagine what could possibly be the reason delaying this prayer. Who's that? And the Gemara answers, Kedei sheyagiyah lebeisei ha'achroin shebi Yisrael she'olol l'regel l'birushalayim so that the last Jew in Eretz Yisrael can reach home, can arrive home from the people, from the Jews that came to be Eretz in Yerushalayim. Oh. And the Techie is not here, we said before, because his birthday, he was hijacked. So, uh, he was hijacked, so the Techie wasn't here, I didn't set it up. Had I known you were coming, or he were coming on time, I would have set it all up. You heard already on the Skype, there was a problem? You didn't hear yet. No, no, we're setting, we're resetting, we're getting everything in order.
So the Gemara tells us that the reason the reason that we wait for the Saint Talamotel of Racha until Zayin Marcheshvan is because the Jews that were Eilaregel that came to Eretz Yisrael, that came to Yerushalayim, needed to reach home. And there was a Cheshbon made, a calculation made, and it was discovered that the furthest point, there's big ones, but I just didn't want to open a big one, so a small one. The furthest point from Yerushalayim to the furthest point of Eretz Yisrael that a person can possibly reach would take the 15 days, which would be Zayin Marcheshun. Okay. I don't know who's calling in over there. Here it is. Okay. You know where it is with the car plug in or something? Hold on. Are we back on? We're back on now. Okay. It's fine. We are good now. Okay. They're up there. So therefore we said, welcome back everybody on Skype. On the seventh day, we have the left side on the top, on the bottom shelf, the left side, the back. Here's the letter right here. Right here's the step letter. And while, while you're in that closet, you can take out that hand truck out of there also. Yeah, that will, yeah. Okay. So we're discussing that the seventh day of Cheshvan, which is thir- which Friday, we begin the prayer in Eretz Yisrael, in the Holy Land. They're going to begin saying the Saint Talamotar. However, in Chutzlaretz, we only say it on December 5th. And we also said the reason for that is because when a Jew came to Yerushalayim, Three times a year, the Jews came to Yerushalayim to visit the Beis Hamikdash, and when the Jew came, it's on the back of that shelf. Yeah, when the Jew came to Yerushalayim, he would have to travel home. Now, there's a halacha, there's a law that a Jew had to come three times a year to be the regal to visit on Pesach. Sukkis and Shavuos. However, there were certain stipulations to this. Amongst the stipulations is the person had to be wealthy, had to be able to have, he could not be a pauper, al Also, if the person was blind, you have to find the extension cord that's up there as well. No, you put it here. You still need the extension cord. If the person were to be blind, then since the mitzvah is Aliyah Leregel was because Yeriroa calls the Churcha, the mitzvah going to Yushalayim was to see God, and if a person was blind, they would not be able to see. Therefore, they were also exonerated, they were also part of they also did not have to go. So there's only certain people, only well, most of the people had to go, but there were certain 
Jews that would not that would not have to go. And mainly is you had to live in the boundaries of Israel, in the boundaries of Eretz Israel. If you lived outside the borders, you also were not asked to go. You also were not obligated to go. This computer must get plugged in immediately into the thing or else it dies. Um, Talking about, yeah, unplug the, unplug this. Wait a minute, unplug this. Oh, unplug the charger, okay, fine. <laughs> There's a fellow, Charlie Boswell. Charlie Boswell was a veteran. Unfortunately for Charlie, during the war, he was blinded. Something like one of the sun blew up in his face, he was blinded. However, he did not let this handicap affect him. So much so, out of all the sports in the world that Charlie chose to play, Charlie became an expert in golf. An expert in golf. Huh? With no eyes. He became, he learned, and there was a special... League, a blind man's league, playing golf. And Charlie mastered this to such a in the next room. Here, you have to plug it in here. In the next room, there's a cabinet. The top drawer is the mouse. That's fine, it's plugged in enough. You're good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. There was a special league for the blind golfers. Charlie mastered this and won every year. He won, yeah. He won the uh, whatever contest he used to have on an annual basis in the Blind Man's League. And the prize, the trophy, was named after a very famous golfer. Whose name was um, Ben Hogan? Anyone that's familiar with golf, I have no idea. Ben Hogan, the Ben Hogan Award. He won for years in a row. He won the Ben Hogan Award. Let's close this. Healthy year, the one year. He was honored beyond any imagination, and Ben Hogan himself came to give him his prize. <laughs> you can imagine the simcha, the happiness, the joy. And Ben Hogan said to him, you're a pretty good golfer. To which he answered, I'm better than you are. Ben Hogan started to chuckle, to laugh. How could a blind man be better than a man that sees and that's an expert golfer? Well, it didn't take another moment and our friend Charlie challenged Ben Hogan to a match. He challenged him to a golf game. 18 holes. Ben said, you know, you have such a good reputation, you won so many matches. I'm going to take you on, just to give you, make the satisfaction, I'll play you a game. 
Charlie says, you have to understand, Ben, I got so good at this, and I got so interested and so intrigued with golf, I don't play unless there's money involved. Now Ben started getting irritated. You're making fun of me already now? Leave it, leave it. You're making fun of me? He says, no. I'll play you an 18-hole game, but we got to get... We gotta put money on it. So Ben says, okay, I'll go along with that. How much? He says, a thousand dollars a hole. Each hole I win, a thousand dollars you owe me. Each hole you win, a thousand dollars I owe you. Ben said, fine. Name the place, name the time. So he tells him the name of the golf course. And then he tells him, we'll play at 10 o'clock at night. So, (laughs) to Charlie it didn't matter if it was day or night. But to Ben obviously it did. So he wanted to handicap him to show him that you're going to join me. You're going to play me, you'll play my game. But kids are back to what we were talking about, Aliyah the Regal seeing the Vesamikdash. You had to come and see the, the Almighty. So a blind man was potter. A blind man did not have to go. We have a question though. Fifteen days we are waiting for the Jew to reach his destination so that we could start praying for rain. In Israel, rain is a very, very important thing. When it doesn't rain in Israel, God forbid, the Gemara also in Tainus tells us that they used to establish fast days. If it wasn't raining, they would make people fast two, three, four days in a row until they got rain, because they couldn't survive without it. But yet, we are telling the Jewish nation, wait 50 15 days until the furthest Jew of the furthest part of Israel arrives home so that we can pray for rain. Scratch your head because it's mind boggling. The question gets even bigger. We know that there is a mitzvah in the Torah. There is an actual commandment in the Torah to pray. Not just to pray, to put on tefillin, to daven, mincha. Not just to pray. To pray means when you need something, when you're missing, when you're lacking something, the Torah tells us you have a mitzvah to pray to God so that you can get what you are missing. So it's a mitzvah. If there's such a mitzvah, if there's such a mitzvah, how can we tell Jews, you can't do that mitzvah? We're telling you, first of all, you're not going to have rain, and second of all, you can't have a mitzvah of praying. What's going on here? The Jews need the rain. 
how is it possible that because one person, one solitary person, Steve Selenkorn has to be on, I don't know where he is, one solitary person, we are holding back the entire nation from getting rain. And we're also pushing off the mitzvah of praying. From here, therefore, we learn the greatness of love and unity between the Jews, one Jew and another. When a Jew, living in the Holy Land of Israel, he knows that the last person traveling home has not yet reached his house, and it starts to rain on this person, Tzemach Tzedek writes a sefer called Derech Mitzvah Secha. In Derech Mitzvah Secha, in the beginning of the Maimah, in the beginning of the Maimah, talking about Mitzvah's Tfila, it talks about how it's a mitzvah to pray for the Ebishter, to ask him for anything that we need. That was a response to a text. That the Jew worried that God forbid there's somebody out there and it's going to get rained upon. And it's going to suffer, going to catch a cold, catch pneumonia. Even though I need the rain. I don't even want to see the rain. I need it. I'm desperate for it. I don't want to see it though, because God forbid another Jew is going to be hurt. That's the feeling that the Jew develops. Not only that, when it does rain before Zion Cheshvan, not only the person getting rained on is in pain, but all the other Jews that see this and, see, and know now that unfortunately there's a Jew getting wet out there, get literally suffer in pain from it. Although their fields are being watered, although they're meriting, they're getting benefit from it but they know somebody else is suffering for it a Jew cannot tolerate that a Jew cannot take that and therefore it's understood from this situation that you can't even obligate a person to ask for rain because the person doesn't want the rain only after the seventh day of Cheshvan when there's no suspicion that there's a Jew out there that might get wet only then does the person feel that he needs the rain importantly. This, therefore, is a tremendous, tremendous lesson. At that point in time, rain is considered Gishme Bracha, the rain of blessing. When the rain comes on a Friday night, we know that there's no Jews traveling on Friday night. Therefore, it is considered Gishmei Bracha. Because we are not imposing upon anybody. What is a Bracha? What is a blessing? There's a famous story told. There's a little town called Vilna. There were two tailors. Mind you, today, 
when you go to a tailor to make a custom made suit <laughs> can't tell that story um Huh? No, it's worse than that. Yeah, okay, we get that story we could tell, actually. There was a, a lady, Rosa Englander, used to have a suit store on, on Avenue J in Brooklyn. Everybody used to go for Rosa Englander suits because it was a metzia. She always had a metzia. She always had a good deal. Either to Rosa or you went to the Lower East Side. The only thing was, in the old, Lower East Side, you got pure polyester, and Rosa used to give you... Oh, we have one cat by this year, so far. We're waiting for the other one to come in. Um, so Rosa, you would come into Rosa, and she would put the suit on you, and the one sleeve would be a little longer than the other. So she would tell the guy, you know what, just lean over a little bit. And the guy would lean over a little bit and see, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, you see, this sleeve is perfect now. And then the pant leg would be a little this way, and the, and the guy would sometimes walk out like like the hunchback in Notre Dame. But it's two, it's two fellows saw somebody walking out of the store, and one said to the other, Hey, Nebuch, that poor fellow, he must have a terrible condition. Look how he's walking. And the other fellow said, yeah, he must have a terrible condition, but I must tell you, he definitely bought a suit by Rosa, because it fits perfect. <laughs> this was something we always heard from days of your Rosa Englander. I think it's still there. It was bought out by the Arab that used to work for her. Average of what? 12 and 13, I think. If I remember. I don't know, something like that. 11, 12. I don't remember. That's 12 and 13, probably. I'm not going to advertise Rosa England as a food store now. Unless they're paying a real advertisement fee. That's it. The tailors of yesteryear knew how to put on a button, maybe. They knew how to put together a seam, a custom-made suit. (laughs) You have to go to a... There were tailors like that, but... The average Yiddish tailor didn't know how to do that. They would, you know, the people had their overalls or their things, whatever they needed to fix. They went to the tailor, he used to fix it for them. There was two guys, two Jewish from Jews, and they said to one another, we're not making it here. It's not happening here. You know, what's in Vilna? How many people? So many tailors. Bayachale. Let's go travel. We're going to go travel. Ah, he found it. Um, So they started traveling, and they did from town to town, from farm to farm. Instead of waiting for the the customers to come to them, they went to the customers... And they made an extra penny here, an extra penny there. How much money did you make already? They traveled for several years. And on the way back, they stopped in a friend's house. They made a few, not major money, but they made some money. They stopped in a man's house who used to work as the collector. 
In those days, there was a potitz, a squire. He was the landowner. He owned a lot of land, a lot of houses. He was the landlord. And they had, he used to appoint one Jew, and he, this Jew used to collect all the taxes and all the uh, rents and everything else. So this Jew had a rapport with the potitz. And they stopped at this man's house. And he looked a little broken, a little depressed. And they said, what's wrong, my friend? It's not relevant, it doesn't matter, it's nothing. But they saw he wasn't, he just wasn't happy. And they wouldn't let up, they wouldn't let up. They wouldn't, they badgered him and badgered him and begged him and told him and besieged and appealed until he finally broke down and he told him the Puritz is making a wedding and he needs a gown for his daughter however to my Taurus he came to me and said find me a tailor and I went out and I searched high and low for tailors and I brought him some major experts. But no matter who I brought, he's not happy. I have one week. If I don't produce a tailor in a week's time for his daughter's gown, he's throwing me into prison, and he's going to kill all the Jews here. <laughs> the two tailors looked at each other and they said, You know what? Introduce us. I said, you're crazy. You're two small town tailors. I introduced the biggest artists and experts. And he threw them out. And you guys are going to come here now and you're going <laughs> to... He'll laugh at me. He'll hang me. Never mind. He'll throw me into jail. They said, you got a better idea right now? You got nobody else? Introduce us. Maybe we'll surprise him. He finally... F- Agreed, he said, he's nothing to lose anymore. And he said, okay. And he brought the two Jewish tailors. And they actually got the parrots to agree to let them make up a sample. He was so pleased with the sample, he let them make the gown. So pleased was he with the gown that he told them he has to make, they have to make the gowns for the whole wedding party. No. The tailors sat tirelessly day and night and they sewed and they sewed and they produced a beautiful wedding. Parrots paid them very nicely, very beautifully. It was great. Everything was finished. And this collector says to his tailor friends, thank you very much, you saved me from going to jail, from everything. And he said, no, it's nothing, it's a pleasure. Who? The parrot's wife heard this, and she says to the parrot's on the quiet, the secret, they say it's a pleasure to keep a Jew out of jail. Forget it, let's do it. Not let's go, let's do it. We have a Jew in jail. Let's get him. Let's ask them. Maybe they want to get him out. 
The Baruch comes over and he says to the two tailors, uh, Listen, Yidin, I see you're very happy to keep a Jew out of jail. I have a Jew in jail though. Another Jew. Another guy who didn't pay taxes. Maybe you want to redeem him and his family. Because they're there for a while and they're already begging that we should kill them. Because they can't take it anymore in the jail. They heard this and they were shocked. They said, Oyvei, Skolka, how much do you need? How much do you need for them? How much do you want? And he told them 300 ruble. So one tailor looked at his partner. What should we do? And the partner said, I... They wanted 50, wanted 100. I would consider it, I'd split it with you. 300 is a tremendous amount of money. I'm not doing that. The other fellow said, I want to dissolve our partnership. Let's count up how much money we made and let's split. And they did it. They counted up the money and it was 600 ruble. He took his 300, he took his 300. At this point, the fellow realized the other guy is going to give away all his money if he's not the partner. So he started to dissuade him and to talk him out of it and to beg him and plead and congeal and said, don't do it, don't do it. It's crazy. It's suicide. The man said, I can't see this happen. He took the whole 300 ruble, his old earnings from all his travels and from this wedding and he gave it to the parrots and they feed the family. No, Fashtetzer, the whole family came out and they were so excited and they thanked their benefactor. Yaakov, everybody went home. The two tailors arrived back in Vilna. The guy who kept his money set up shop, had a beautiful clothing store, and was a tremendous success. He was making money hand over fist. The other guy came back with no money and was a shlomazel. And he had to resort to begging. And he sat on the streets, Nebuch. And he became hunched. He became all. And they used to call him the depressed tailor. No. One day, he was dying of hunger. And a Jew was walking past him. And he said to him, Please, I'm dying of hunger. Can you give me money for food? And the man said to him, Money for food? And what will you give me in return? And he said, In return, I'll give you a blessing. The guy said, A blessing? What's your blessing worth? He said, I don't know, but that's all I can give you. And so, the guy said, what can I lose? He gave him a few cupcakes to go buy some food, to buy some bread. And he blessed him he should be successful. This man happened to be a flax merchant. He would go to the farms, he would buy up flax, and he'd bring it back to the town and sell it. That day that he gave this guy a few pennies, 
he had to go see his hardest customer. This guy was the worst. He was the pits. He almost never made money with him. He shows up, and the man welcomes him with open arms, and they did a smashing deal. A smashing deal was pulled off. He made more money than he could ever imagine. And so the next time he had to go on a journey, again, he went by to this man, and gave him money, and he got a blessing, and again was successful. And as he did this, each time he went on business, he got wealthier and wealthier. The poor man knew nothing of this. The poor man sat there like a nebuch. Every so often got a few cupcakes from this guy. But had no idea this man was getting so, so rich because of his blessings. One day, the very, very wealthy man now, the flax merchant, was throwing a party. And during the big party... You want some fresh? The cups are in the kitchen. During the big party, he drank wine. Wine goes in, the secrets come out. His tongue was loosened, and he began to tell the story of his success. How much he laughed the first time, but how ultimately he saw that this poor man's blessings made him wealthy. Word got out, and people started going to him for blessings. One day, two chassidim of the Baal Shem Tov passed through the town, and they heard about this blessing beggar. And when they came back to Mezhubush, they told the Baal Shem Tov about it. And the Baal Shem Tov said, the next time you go there, bring him back to me. And Kachava, the next time they were in Vilna, they came to this blessing, the blessing beggar, they asked him to come with them to the Baal Shem Tov, and they brought him to the Baal Shem HaKadosh. And the Baal Shem Tov asked him, what is your story? Where do you get off, where do you come off to bless people? So I don't know, I just bless them, they give me a donation, I, I bless them. Don't you know your blessings come to fruition? He says, no, I know nothing of it. I just know they come to me, they give me money, I give them a blessing. There must be something more to you, sir. Tell me what it is. The man had no idea. Who are you? I'm a tailor. Where do you come from? Vilna? What? The Vashemta sat him down and said, Tell me your story. And he started to tell the whole story from the beginning. Travels, mices, the poets, the wedding, the money to redeem the Jews. Ah! The Vashemta found the secret. What you did for those Jews gave you the power of blessing. 
Rabbi Hashem sat with this Jew, and he learned and studied with him. He taught him Teda. He taught him how to come out of his depression. He showed him the beauty. He opened his eyes to the secrets of Teda. And this man ultimately wrote a book on Kabbalah from what he learned from the Baal So we see therefore when it comes to helping a fellow Jew, especially when it comes to the mitzvah of Pidyan Shvuyim, the reward, the reward for it knows no boundary. Pasha, let's return to the Pasha a little bit, something we have to talk about the Pasha. This week's Pasha is Lech Lecho. Lech Lecho, we know the letters of the Hebrew alphabet all are equal to certain amounts. The Lamed is a 30, the Chof is a 20, Lech is 50, and Lecho is also Lamed Chof, is also 50. The Almighty tells Avram Avinu at 100 years old, you will then become something. That's when you will reach the goal that you need to accomplish. And we see then later at 100 years old, Avram Avinu gives birth to his son Yitzchak. He fathers his son Yitzchak. And that is the whole value the whole riches of a parent is the child. Especially if the child's name is Yitzchak. Yeah, thank you. Um, what is the main theme of the story, of the Parsha? Yes, he left blindly. He left not knowing where he's going. He left without the future destination. He didn't turn on the GPS because he couldn't program it to tell him where to go. <laughs> Talk about modern technology. You know, today, today, many, there's a, a concept called a badchen. The Gemara talks about the badchen. Badchen is like the comedian. A comedian in Hebrew is a badchen. And in, by the Jewish chassidish weddings, at the end of the wedding, they have what's called mitzvah tents. Dance the, uh, this one dances with a collar, this one dances with a collar, with a gartel. They don't hold a hand. And there's different spiritual connotations that go on when this happens. Because they introduce this person to dance with all his lineage. So generally the Batkin, who makes up poems and rhymes for all the people that he introduces also has to tell a joke or two sometimes, in order to keep the people going. Because after all, that's what batchen means, a comedian. So one such batchen got up recently by a chesidisha wedding, and before he started, he said, I want to ask, who here doesn't have WhatsApp? And two people picked up their hands, they don't have WhatsApp. He says, good, come with me outside, I'll tell you a few jokes. Because apparently today all jokes circulate through WhatsApp. So, come with me outside, I'll tell you a few jokes. This is the only, all my jokes I get from WhatsApp. 
So the only, everyone here that has WhatsApp probably saw or heard my joke already. Anyway, that's the modern technology. The main part of the parsha is the end of the parsha. Avram Avinu takes a plunge. What plunge does Avram Avinu take? He has a bris mila. He allows himself at 99 years of age to enter the covenant to be circumcised or circumcise himself. First of all, standard question. We know that Avram Vinu was Mikhaim Kalatera Kula. Avram Vinu did everything, all the mitzvahs beforehand. Before the Torah was given. In that case, why did he not perform the Bismillah? Why does he wait till now when God commands him to do so? On the other hand, when it comes to Bismillah today, in spite of Mayor Bloomberg, who's never going to be, will never rest in peace because of this, because of his opposition to Bismillah, in spite of all the European anti-Semitic government that are trying to ban, God forbid, the mitzvah of Bismillah, the mitzvah of Bismillah is what keeps the Jewish nation going. But if Avram did it at 99, why are we doing it at eight, 8 days old? Another question, for those keeping score at home, is Gemara Mesechtis Menachais, Mem Gimel Amid Beis, 43 side 2. And the Gemara Menachas tells us a story, a brief story, as King David entered into the bathhouse, Omar, he said, Oily, oh, woe is to me, I'm standing here naked with no mitzvah, no tzitzis, no tefillin, nothing. But, says the Gemara, as soon as he remembered the circumcision that he had, he became at peace. King David. King David. All the mitzvahs that he had, all the Torah that he studied, the book of Tehillim, which all these were committed to memory for sure. The only mitzvah he could think of that could save him is Bismillah. Let us scrutinize, let us examine mitzvahs. When a person does a mitzvah, they create an angel, they create a malach. They create a merit. person puts on tefillin, their heart and their mind are connected to God. Even after they take off the tefillin, their heart and mind remain connected to God. But we're not, once the tefillin is removed, we're not doing the mitzvah of tefillin. 
Mitzvah Mila is not just taking off the Orla, taking off the foreskin. The mitzvah is not just the mitzvah of doing bris mila is not just removing the foreskin, but the mitzvah is to be gemalit, to have had a bris. There's a letter from Tzafnas Paneach, who writes at the end of Kuntas Mitzitza. Every second, Rachman in a person's life, the person needs to have had a bris. He needs to be mole. Although the bris happened when he was eight days old, every moment of his life he is meriting another merit, another mitzvah with the fact that he has had a bris. So a person is Mekayim Mitzvah's Mila his entire life. Now we understand why King David was appeased with this mitzvah, and only with this mitzvah. Because the merit of this mitzvah stands with a person all their life. And the doing of this mitzvah is accomplished on a constant basis as long as the man has the circumcision done to him. But let's go back to the question, why an eight-day-old child? The child doesn't know, doesn't understand. Would it not be better to ask the adult his consent, like they want to do today? Would it not make more sense that the child, the person before having the bridge, should sign a form and say, yes, I want my bridge done? The bris forms, as the Pasik tells us, as we just said, that this is always the sign, will always be there forever. It's a perpetual sign. What is this sign? The sign is binding us, the man and God. This does not come from the person. Because the person is a limited soul, limited creation. He cannot form a true connection with God. What you do? Not even. But God is the one that ties himself with the person. And that's why Brismila is at eight days. Because the bris that happened through the person the requesting of the person to bond himself with God and so, etc. is not the way to go. But the connection that is done here between the Abishta, the God and the person is not through the person, it's through God. And therefore we don't have to wait for the person to be knowledgeable we don't have to wait for the person to give his consent, but rather God wants to connect immediately with the soul, with the child. But the question becomes, the Al-Tarebbe writes in Shulchan Aruch, Tchilas nefesh zu hagdusha hi b'mitzvah smila. 
when does this holy soul come into the body? By the bris milah, as we just explained. God binds himself with the Jew through the bris milah. It's not understood though. We know that the child sitting inside the mother's womb sits and studies Teda. It's a Gemara, for those keeping track at home. Mesechtis Nida, Taflamid Amid Beis, 30, side 2. Where the Gemara says, Malam the Mesech Kala Teda Kula. There's a Malach sitting and teaching him the whole Teda, and therefore, before we have a little clep, a little thing on top of our lip, what is this little pinch here? The pinch is the pinch of the Malach. He pinches the child before he goes out of the womb that he should forget everything he learned. But yet, oftentimes, a Jew, when he studies something in Teda, will feel a little deja vu. Will feel like, I've learned this before. And the reason being, because yes, he has learned it before. So the question is, If the child is studying Teda, the entire Teda, in the mother's womb, how can you tell me that the Nefesh al Kedusha only comes in by the bris? We find a special plus, a positive by bris mila, which we don't see by any other mitzvah. I'm not quite sure why Ananji would have it. What? I think it's called Frenelum. It's what? Frenelum. Like What's Frenelum? Frenelum? Okay. I don't know why Ananji would have it. Maybe they should. the Jews shouldn't look so different. The whole world is created for the Jews. So that the Jews shouldn't walk around. They should say, oh look, he's a freak, he's a Jew. It could be. I'm only speculating, not telling you factual. There's something, as we said till now, we spoke about till now, in Bismillah that's different than any other mitzvah. The mitzvah, it's brought down in the Zayar, the Altarev brings down the Kutateda, the Zloshan Tzavsev Achibur, a connection. Connecting the person with God. But not every time we do a mitzvah, we give tzedakah or something. We don't see that I connected to God with that. Yeah, I gave a dollar. I know that it's like a sacrifice. It's like, you know, some people giving $100,000, my dollar. But I don't see myself getting affected with a connection to God from that. Mashenki mitzvah miller. Through the mitzvah is an actual change in the physical body. And therefore the bond is a totally different one with God. So although prior the neshama was hovering or even involved with the body, because the body was sitting and learning Teda, but the Knesset Nefesh HaKedusha, what is the true tie, connection between the Nefesh 
Hagdusha with the body, only when it becomes recognizable, which is through the brismila. We have many different happenings in the parasha that we spoke before. One such happening, The pollet came running, chapter 14, verse 13, the pollet came running, and he told Avram they captured Lot. Now, who is the pollet, says the Medrash. Rashi doesn't explain it. The Medrash says, who egg? Who pollet? Egg, Melech is known later. Egg was the pollet, the one that ran. Why was he called Oig, says the Medrash? Where did he get a name like Oig? Shabbat he came, Umotza, and he found as Avram, Yeshev, Eisig, B'mitzvah, Ugois. Avram Avinu was sitting, and he was involved with the mitzvah of Ugois, Ugois, Matzais. He was making Matzah. He found Avram Avinu making Matzah. The Medrash is a little unclear, shall we say. What's the difference to the fact that Avram was sitting and making matzah on the night of Pesach to the hapolit, to this polit? I wanted very much to kill or to get rid of Avram. Why? For the sick reason, he wanted to marry Sarah Emenu. He wanted to be married to Sarah. Now, Oig found a way to get rid of Avram. What was his way? His way that he's going to get rid of Avram, he's going to get him killed. He'll commit suicide. He came and he told Avram they captured Lot, the son of his brother, his nephew. They captured his nephew. And he figured Avram would go and try to save Lot and stage war with all the kings. Avram will go out against the kings to war, he'll be killed. No, if Avram is killed, he can go marry Sarah. We don't understand. Eich saw Avram making matzah, and therefore he knew that Avram would go and put himself on the line. Why did he think that Avram would go against four strong kings to save late, even though, yes, save late was very important to him, why did he think he would go in a suicide mission? It would be a suicide mission to go against the four kings. Why did Light think that Avram would do it? Tells us the Medrash because he saw him making matzahs. And that's how he got the name Oik. When Oik came and saw Avram doing the matzahs, 
In the Zayar, for those of you again who are keeping score at home, it's Zayar Chelek Beis, um, 183 side 2, if you have the same set that we have here. Matzah is called Michla the Meminusa, bread of belief. When a person eats matzah, they on Pesach, they get there's two nights of Pesach. One night is mechel and one is dasvusa. One night is for belief, and one night is for healing. He saw him dealing with the matzahs. He knew that he was eating bread that gives you a muna, belief in God that is lemaylem and asechel, higher than than intellect. Higher than a person would actually do. So a person would actually believe in God with such faith, such complete faith that they would do things that do not, do not make sense. From there he understood that by telling him that, that Leit was captured, Abram was the type of person to do things to believe in God even with things that did not make sense. So much so that he would give over his own life to save light. And he was right. Avram went out with the complete faith that God will help him. And he won though. Now we're not going to tell the story of Nachim Mishgamzu with the sand and the weapons because it's over time. However, we will just talk about that. Lech lecha, me'artzecha, me'lartzecha, me'beisavicha. Where ela eretz to the land that will be shown. We are commanded, Avram is commanded to go out of whatever he's in, out of his situation, out of his predicament, and take himself to the land that I will show you, to the promised land. And this is therefore what we are striving for. And this is therefore what we need to do, is to bring us, is to strive, to accomplish, to study, to pray, to, to do that one more mitzvah, that take us out of this exile, to take us into Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim, Erakadosh, to break all barriers, and that everyone should be blessed with all that they need. Shemale Hashem, Kol Mishal Eslibchem Letayva Velevracha, whether it be Shiduchim, whether it be children, whether it be money, peace of mind, peace of heart, whatever it might be, and that we should all find our right number, our right niche. And we should all find it tonight in Yerushalayim Irakadesh with Mashiach Tzidkenu. Shabbat Shalom to all.